Father, we thank you for the presence of God. Thank you that every time we meet, we are corporately together in Christ. Thank you that Christ is in us. Thank you for the promise where he said, I'll never leave you. So we acknowledge the presence of the living God today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for angels all about us. Thank you for the spirit of worship and of faith and of prayer. Thank you for the saints. Thank you that we are one in Christ Jesus. You who placed us into Christ, placed us into a body. Thank you we belong to one another. Thank you for the love of the Father set upon our hearts this morning. Thank you for the Word of God. Lord, now open eyes to see, open ears to hear, to hear your Word today. Holy Spirit, come be our teacher. And now may the Spirit of understanding rest on every heart. And Lord, thank you for that grace, the Spirit of understanding. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I place it upon the heart everyone, of everyone present who's not in Christ, who hasn't yet understood, I release it to you. May the Lord give you eyes to see and a heart to understand this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, good morning, everybody. Uh, David Alley was uh, due to speak this morning. I was going to do communion, but uh, there's sickness in the family as a few others too. Of course, um, our scheduled worship leader um, also the kids cook this morning. So totally rearranged at the last minute, but uh, that's, all, that's all fine. Uh, last Sunday, I told a few stories of people who had been converted. My own story, and remember old Mick the alcoholic? And uh, remember also the friend I spoke about who really became a friend, but after years of being in sin, terrible sin, came to me at middle age, and yet it took six weeks to get him through. He, he came wanting to get right with God, he said, and uh, I'd, I'd lead him in the prayers, He'd, he'd pray a prayer of repentance, pray a prayer to receive Jesus. The Lord wouldn't touch him. Took six weeks and many meetings and finally got him through because I went and sought the Lord. And the Lord said to me, no, he, he doesn't actually want me. He's just in trouble and wants me to solve his problems. So I, I instructed him some more. This is the truth of it. Taught him, change your heart toward God. And so he, he repented of it, said he was sorry, changed his heart. The Lord saved him. But just reflecting a bit more on those stories, and I had intended to anyway with respect to the communion message, uh, I thought you'd, you'd like to know a little background on, on the gospel. Because as always, some people struggle more than others to really feel the total assurance of having been born again and belong. And um, others so easily since their salvation, and yet they're, they're all called. Last week we spoke about the call, the call of God, and the fact that many are called, but few are chosen. And uh, we, we mentioned that parable where uh, there's a wedding feast, and you know, go out into the highways and byways, Jesus said, compel them to come in. But uh, then in, in, as the Lord walks through, he sees someone not dressed in a wedding garment, and that guy gets turfed out, and I said to you last week that, that that wedding garment is Christ. When you become the Lord's, you're clothed with Christ. Because it's also a symbol of righteousness, but, but it's actually Christ's righteousness. That's what it means to be clothed with Christ Jesus. And uh, 
so, you know, there was, a, there was a fellow called but not chosen in that sense. When you go back to the Reformation, over 500 years ago now that, that began, and um, it was a wonderful, wonderful period of, the, of gospel light, Bible teaching. The, the just will live by faith, they taught. You know, salvation is by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, the authority of Scripture, all these things were taught and a lot of people found the Lord and believed and, and really came into an experience of redemption that never had before, but there was an interesting way in which all this was conducted. For the first 200 years from the Reformation on, the gospel was preached, but no one was ever invited to come forward and receive Jesus. This wasn't part of the church's understanding of how to do it. Instead, the gospel in all its glory would be preached and preached and preached. People would be told, this is what Christ did for sinners. And for those who believe, those who believe are saved. You know, those who find faith in Jesus, your sins are washed away. And people would sit under the preaching of the gospel and, and wait for this, this moment where they sensed their heart believed. And so it was this process of, you know, people would sit sometimes in church for months and years longing to be saved but not knowing they were. And then all of a sudden one day their heart might be really warmed and they, they, they thought, I, I think I'm believingly saved. And, and so it, the gospel was preached and people longed to be saved and the Lord was dealing with them. But it wasn't until John Wesley came along more than 200 years later that he discovered and promoted what we call the evangelical nature of the gospel. He would preach, because previously it was only thought that that those the Lord took hold of were saved and everybody else had to sit there and hope that sooner or later the Lord would take hold of them. But John Wesley preached, no, this gospel is for all and whoever will may come. And so people were then invited to respond. You're hungry for God. You want to be saved. Come, you know, humble your heart. Confess your sins. Repent. Receive him. Put your faith in him. So a more active faith was stirred up and uh, it was Wesley who introduced what was called the mourner's bench. And that would be over on the side of the meeting somewhere. And uh, mourners, these were those who were sorry for their sins and, and were repentant. They didn't really know how to be saved, but they would, they would sit on the mourner's bench and then people would talk with them, deal with them, pray with them, hopefully bring them through to the faith. And so the, it was when the Salvation Army came along, they, they took this up another notch because William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he was a Methodist minister. Wesley was his hero. So the, the Salvation Army didn't just use a mourner's bench. They put right along the front of the meeting what they called the penitent form. So if you were the penitent, that means you, you, were, you were wanting to be saved, you heard the gospel, and you came to this place because you were repenting of your sins. And this was a place where you knelt. So it was usually a backless form. So Imagine a timber stool about so high, flat top, a long bench, right along the front of these platforms in these big places they had. And, and so the gospel would be preached and, and, and people called to respond to the gospel. Come, repent of your sins, give your heart to Christ, find salvation here. But salvation was, was something that had to be sought and found. It wasn't just automatic. But some people, like myself, sitting in the meeting, 
sitting up in the second back row. I sat through five years of meetings. But all of a sudden one night, and it was in a series of about seven meetings where a special evangelist was in and he preached and preached and preached and told lots of stories of people being converted. And I sat through all of those and still didn't experience the call. Now, I was conscious of God all of those years, but never knew there was such a thing as a call. But all of a sudden, down to the last five minutes of that last of those meetings, and all of a sudden that call took hold of me. And I, you resist for a while, you struggle, you don't, you don't go forward, you don't embarrass yourself. But it, but it was when I finally yielded in this moment. And, and the yielding is that I, I just shifted my weight on the seat to, to give in and get up and go. The moment my weight shifted, I was totally born again, profoundly born again. And so um, the Lord didn't, in my case, didn't even wait for a prayer of repentance. So some people, there's a huge breakthrough the moment there's a, a, the yielding of the heart. And the yielding of the heart's the critical thing. The, the giving of the heart, the, the giving in, the submission, the surrender to the call of God. And, and I was instantly born again, profoundly so. My life totally transformed. And, and from that moment, knew exactly who I was and, and whom, whom I was, you know, who I was in and what I was called to do, so clear. I still came forward, still received prayer. I have no memory whatsoever of anything that was said to me or any prayer that was prayed. I was already in the glory. I just knew the Lord. But others, they, they respond to the call. That there's this compulsion. The Spirit of God is stirring them. They're under conviction. It's what we call being under conviction. There's a conviction that they need to give in. They need to find salvation. They need their sins forgiven. And they'll respond, but somehow don't break through. Now, in these cases, there'll be a hindrance. And sometimes the hindrance is within the person. Like I spoke to somebody this morning who really made a decision to follow Christ, and they said they, they've had so much more peace since they did, but they've often struggled with doubt. Well, doubt's one of those perennial things that comes up for some people. And so folks like this need instruction. In, in what is the truth, what Christ has said concerning you, what the Bible declares, your position in Him. They're encouraged to believe and to understand just how they've been positioned, just how their sins have been washed away. So they, they, they've, these kind of folks need to find assurance through understanding the Scriptures, understanding the Word of God, and, and that the work of the Spirit is already going on in them. But in some people, there's, there's other things to be overcome, other hindrances. And uh, for some people, you know, it's, it's love of the world. And uh, they, they, they come to the Lord and they'll repent, but in the heart they're holding on to some love they haven't let go of. You know, my, or it's love of money. Or, you know, the influence of their friends. You know, what will my friends do? There's, all, there's something of the world holding on to them. In some people it's a demonic thing. And uh, I remember in the Salvation Army in all those early meetings, we'd have times a huge breakthrough. People would come forward, they'd be kneeling and weeping. But there'd always be, and of course, someone was always assigned to kneel with them and pray with them. And sometimes it was very simple, very easy. They'd been profoundly converted. It was very easy to, to pray for them. And they'd pray a prayer. You'd pray for them. And now they're, they're born again. But there are others that had come under conviction, responding, hungry, but no breakthrough, no experience of being born again, like that man who came to see me. And the purpose then of the penitent form in a praying meeting was to be praying and praying and praying until there was a breakthrough. And, and it was known as praying them through. And sometimes in a really hard case, sometimes you'd get, say, an alcoholic come forward, you know, poor old guy, and 
he's, he's come forward and he's, he's got problems and he wants to find the Lord and yet just can't break through. Something's resisting. And sometimes we, you, you get a, a bunch of people uh, faithful in the congregation. They'd come and they'd kneel all around. So someone's here praying with them, talking with them, encouraging them, get, you know, leading them in their confessions and repentance and, and seeking to get to the place where they believe and there's a shift in the heart. But meanwhile, something's holding it up. There's some blockage, some bondage in the spirit realm. So a, a whole ring of people would all kneel around, all praying for this brother or sister. And it was known as praying them through. And this might take 20 minutes or half an hour. But, but finally, there'd be such a breakthrough, transformation of the soul, that they'd come into light and to the glory of God. There'd be such liberty and freedom. And so these were some of the, the great old scenes you know, of those meetings. Praise God. Anyway, all I'm saying is, you, you could be in any of these positions where you're hungry for God, you feel conviction and, and the call, but you haven't really broken through to, to power and to, to freedom and liberty of conscience and all the rest, but you must. And this is what salvation is all, is all about, being genuinely born again and being in, in the assurance of the Lord. And, and for some people, you know, some, sooner or later, someone's going to think that they've committed the unforgivable sin and they're like, no, no. Let, let me tell you, whatever you've got a sensitivity towards the Lord, whatever you've got a hunger that you've got to get your life right, believe me, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. And uh, there, there'll be other people with other burdens. Some, some people think, well, they're not good enough to be saved. And a lot of these things have to be overcome by instruction because we, we're not saved by our own goodness. We're saved by the Lord. It's His goodness that saves. This is why we must be clothed by Christ, but it's also why we must humble ourselves and repent and, and let go of the things that have previously, previously held on to us. Well, see, these are some of the tales. But you know, that, that man that came to me years ago and the Lord wouldn't touch him, and I persevered for six weeks. He kept coming back to see me for six weeks. Every other day, we'd talk some more, lead him in prayers, get him to repent, pray to receive the Lord. The Lord wouldn't touch him. You know, that makes it sound like he wasn't called. And we finally talked the Lord into it. No, no, not so. The truth in a situation like this, of course, is the Lord all along wants him saved. Now, the call, the call is, the, the reason that fellow kept coming, he didn't know it. He, yes, he thought he was just trying to solve his problems. But the, Lord, the Lord's always bigger than these things. The truth is, he was only in that position, as ignorant as he was, because the call of God was there. And this is why, you know, people like you and me get positioned. It, it's so that we, we seek the Lord. What is the hindrance? What is the problem? Get light on it. Bring instruction to people like this and finally bring them through. It's just the grace of God at work all the while. All the while, that fellow that he resisted six weeks, God in his wisdom knew he needed to be resisted for six weeks. He, he needed to feel like God wasn't interested to, to bring him to the place where he really surrendered his heart and, and sought the Lord, and so on and so forth. Well, what about you? Last Sunday we had um, seven or eight or nine. I, I didn't count. And neither did we make a list of all the names. But I remember some of those who came forward. And, and Sarah was the first, and along with Karis. And um, Karis, immediately after the meeting, she is demanding the baptism book. I must be baptized. I must study that book. Well, I brought a few along today, and here they are, if anybody needs one. But she wasn't waiting. She saw them on the chair. She came around and gives me a hug and nicked one off my seat over there. So, no, she's ahead of the game. 
And uh, there are probably some things in there her parents need to explain, including the whole chapter on being clothed with Christ. But, um, but she'll get it. And she went home last Sunday, told her parents she feels completely different. Well, she does because the Lord took a hold of her in his grace. I mean, what is she, eight years old? Is that right? She's eight, nine soon? No, she has been transformed by the grace of the Lord. Uh, Sarah was here weeping. Where are you, Sarah? Sitting right there. I was so glad to see Sarah. The first response, so quick to respond. And because and, I, I, I've thought about Sarah for a while, thinking, uh, you know, just longing for her to have great breakthrough into liberty and joy and assurance. I was so delighted. Um, Grace was another, and Joel was another, and uh, Jeremiah, and I thank God for them. And what I want to do today in just a little while is get those who, who made those commitments to Christ last Sunday, doesn't matter whether it was your first one or whether the Lord's been dealing with you for a while, but I, I want to personally serve your communion right here. You are in Christ. We're going to pray for you. And no doubt there'll be some others in the meeting perhaps who need to re- respond and give your heart to the Lord for the first time. If you've never given your heart to the Lord before, today's the day because there is a call that goes out. And uh, remember, many are called, but if you want to be the chosen of God, the heart must be surrendered, and then the Lord takes hold of you. Uh, here, the, the scripture is, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The, the call goes out, universal call. But if, if you'll yield the heart, he'll take hold of you. And uh, you can't take a hold of him if he doesn't take a hold of you. The, 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 the bigger question is not, have you received Christ? The big question is, has Christ received you? Have you brought your heart to that place where you've yielded the heart, uh, dealt with hindrances? I remember years ago, a fellow that, that, that loved money. He, you know, he wanted more of the Lord. What the Lord revealed was his love of money. Now, the Lord didn't actually ask him for any of the money. But he, he had to confess it. This was the weakness of his heart. He had a, this divided heart. The moment he confessed that, ah, you talk about deliverance and, and breakthrough into the fullness of the Spirit. And so, yes, there can be a hindrance. The hindrance could be a fleshly one, that is, it's within you, or it could be some love of the world. Or on the other hand, you know, there can be bondage. Sometimes it's generational bondage, and there's something in the spirit realm, you know, clinging, holding on to you, and that thing's got to be broken. And that's why sometimes we've got to, we've got to pray you through to a, a better place. Well, um, take a look at this scripture. Romans 1, verses 5 to 7. In this short passage, these couple of verses, you will see that the idea of being called is there twice. It's the critical thing, the critical thing that you know you have been called. You are the called of God. Take a look at it. Paul is saying, first of all of himself, uh, through whom we've received, speaking of Christ, of course, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including, here's the statement, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then he, then he kind of alludes to it a bit more. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now, this is the first thing to settle in your heart forever, that you're the called of God. You're not just sitting in the meeting under the preaching of the gospel, hoping that the call might come. No, you're called. Many are called. This is a universal call, as Wesley found. 
the gospel goes out to all the world to be preached in the highways and byways to the rich and poor alike. The call is upon you. What you must do is come to that place where you know that through the surrender of your heart to Christ, he took hold of you and you are, you're fully adopted into his family. You've been taken into Christ. Your name has been written above. You're his. He's chosen you and made you his own. So, <clears throat> you did not choose me, he said in John fifteen sixteen, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whenever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Yes, of course, this is the huge privilege that comes when you're fully taken into Christ and you're clothed with Christ and Christ is being formed within you. The great privilege that comes is your direct conversation with the Lord. You come into his presence. You're always in his presence, but by faith there's this sense that you step into his very presence. You're before the throne of God. You make your requests of God. He answers you. You can bring any matter at all. But he adds on to that in three verses later. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Yes, you are, you are the chosen of God and you are now in Christ rather than in the world. You live in the world, but the world is being cleaned out of you. Christ is being formed in you. Look at Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is where some translations will say, you've, you've been clothed with Christ. You've put on Christ. And this idea of putting on Christ, that is you, you've got to be really clear in your own mind. You, you would be, you've got to remember it forever. The rest of your days, really clear, you've put on Christ. And if, that, if, if you end up in shaky ground, you've got, to go, you've got to go back to this place of faith and prayer seeing that Christ is fully formed in you, that you are really in him, clothe yourself. And this is why Romans 13, he repeats this idea. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And then look at this promise from Romans 6. If we've been united with him in a death like this, how, how do you become united with him in a death like this? What's he talking about here? He's talking about baptism. Baptism, it's not the baptism, the water doesn't save you. But baptism is that act by which you are, you are publicly saying, I have surrendered to Christ. And so the, it's this public recognition that somehow in this submission, in this, in this obedience in doing the thing that Jesus told us to do, somehow in that something is washed away. There's something invisible. There's something within. Even after you've been born again, the baptism is critical. For the, the some, somehow there's a further breakthrough to wash away a, a dead body of sin. And this is, a, this is your public acknowledgement that uh, this thing is real. You're in Christ. You've been buried with him. Is, because baptism is, in fact, a, a burial ceremony. You, you're, dead, you're dead now in sins. You're buried with Christ. You're raised to life. You're now alive in Christ. You're full of the Holy Spirit. Baptism has all of these symbols and more in them. 
And it was concerning that, Paul says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, it, the, the external baptism does nothing if the heart is not right. That Christ is present in baptism, but what happens is it, it depends on the, the state of the heart or the attitude of the heart, the faith of the heart, when submitting to baptism that does the work, not the water. It's not the ceremony or the water as such, but it's the state of the heart that determines the outcome of the baptism. I remember years ago, an old Baptist deacon, this was Murray Rapp, said to me, and he'd been years and years and years in Baptist churches, of course, where the immersion of believers was the practice. But he said what he observed over the years is that most people who are baptized know there was, there was some kind of a grace added, some finality, some, you know, some extra shift and power and grace. But he said occasionally, once in the blue moon, he would notice that the moment someone was baptized, baptized, they were cut away from Christ. Because there's power in baptism, just as there's power in the table of the Lord. The power of, of Christ is present in the table of the Lord, somehow that can't really be defined. And the power of Christ is present in the baptism. And so he observed this, and I've seen it once since myself, that someone, you know, they... They make a decision, they got all excited, you know, they, they think they're a believer. The moment you baptize them, they're just gone. They're just, uh, no, because there was something wrong in the heart and the Lord chose to issue a judgment. Now it's rare, but it can happen. But it is a demonstration that bat baptism is real. It's, it's not just an extra thing. It's not just a ceremony. It's not just, you know, some human invention of how to join the church. It goes right back to the preaching of the gospel where on the day of Pentecost, the day that Peter first preached the gospel and he preached it to you know, thousands of Jews who were gathering, he, he preached the resurrected Christ whom he said, you crucified, but God has made him Lord and Christ. According to the, the, the account in Acts 2, the, the crowd saying, you know, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's response is, repent, every one of you, and be baptized, come now and wash away your sins. And, and so it kind of always went together as a very significant and public way in which you said, I'm alive to God, I'm dead to sin, you know, I'm, I'm buried with Christ in baptism, I'm raised with Christ in new life, hugely important thing, and the power of Christ is in it. Just remember, it's not the water that does it, but the, these are the ways in which you respond to Christ, ways in which you obey Him, and when you obey Him, grace and power flows to you. So I often talk about the grace and power of Christ that's in baptism. In fact, that's what, the, that's what the little book is. They're free if you want one. So if, where are we? Romans 6, still up there. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is the purpose of your salvation. The, the, the salvation is, is not some insurance policy so that you can live any kind of lousy life you like, but in the end, no, you know, you, you're going to get off scot-free. It is not so. The purpose of faith in Christ is to break the power of sin in you and deliver you from it so that in newness of life, clothed with Jesus, with faith in God, 
you live an entirely different life, an entirely better life, a life in which you are free from the power of sin. Now, yes, we still make mistakes, and sometimes people give into a temptation, but the idea is to immediately repent. Why? Because you're a different person now. And that sin is not going to define you, even if you did make a mistake. No, you're going to, you're going to cast it off and, and see to it that you're properly clothed with Christ because you're, you're called to live a different life, not the old life, but the new life. And that's why you continually choose righteousness. It's why the Bible says, do not yield the members of your body to sin. Rather, yield yourself to Christ for the purpose of righteousness. Hugely important that, that you seek by faith and by the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, to live the life he died to give you. This is Romans 6 now, a little bit more. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives... He lives to God, so you also. See the three little words? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, I want you to read with me a passage that's uh, quite unique in that in, um, in, in, in Greek, in Paul's writings, quite a lot of this passage is one long sentence. Uh, but for your sake, the translators have given us some sentences. Still some of them are long. Uh, we're going to read it in bits and pieces. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, what is rather unique about this passage is the phrase, in Christ. Now, it might depend on your translation as to how many times this comes up, but there's about 14 of them in the space of uh, 10 verses or so, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And you're going to read of the blessings that are yours when you are in Christ. And... Um, those who are called and chosen, of course, you are. You're, you're in him. So what we're going to do is, is read this together in um, little segments of two verses or one, but I'm going to get you to read it out loud with me. I'll try and read at a, a moderate pace. The Hazel is always on me trying to read and stuff, public stuff too fast. I'm trying to cover a lot of ground. So you're with me? Uh, take a look. Here's the first two verses. So we're just going to go in these little steps, because uh, he has some introductory phrases, and then we get into this long and astounding statement that runs all the way from verse 3 to verse 14. You ready? Because I, I want you to take it in, what he's saying about us. You ready? So we read this bit, this bit here together. You, you out loud with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now we begin. Uh, go to verse 3 and 4. Right. Just take each little segment now thoughtfully. Read with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Pause there, don't change it yet. Did you notice the in hymns and the in Christs in that passage? Well, there's a bunch of them yet, but the, the emphasis of Paul here is that he's, he's blessed us who are in Christ. He says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He says he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
and so on and so forth. Now, the last two words, in love, actually belong to the next uh, couple of verses. So you pick up those, those two words there, in love, and we tack them on with the bit that now comes up. Okay, here we go. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Well, there's a variation in this translation, in the beloved. Who, who's the beloved in this case? Referring to Christ himself. All right, the next little piece. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The next piece, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So we keep getting these in Christ's? Okay, let's do the next bit. Um, oh yes, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Next, yes. So that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And the last bit, there it is. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Leave that on the screen for a minute. Now, obviously, there's so much in a passage like this, what you need to do is go home and sit down and soak it. Because really, you need to read the passage and read it again. Wouldn't hurt you to read this every day a couple of times for a week. Because what happens is, as you do, more and more things drop into place that, oh, you get the big picture. And uh, so anyway, astounding, astounding passage. But notice again this last bit. Uh, this is about the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. And this is the beautiful thing, that when you've been born again, you've been born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's done a work in you and brought something in you alive that was dead. When, when Adam sinned, something in him died. He'd previously been alive to God. He became dead to God. Now, it didn't mean he couldn't talk to God, couldn't think about God, didn't have a conscience. No, you know, to all intents and purposes, he's still a complete man. And yet somehow, something on the inside of him was dead in sin. And when you were born, you were born dead in sin. Your Bible phrase is dead in trespasses and sins. You were born with Adam's sin in you. And then you added to that all your own. And this is the thing Christ died for. When Christ died, it wasn't only to set you free from the sins, the trespasses but that you have committed. It was also to, to destroy the power of sin in the world that Adam had brought in. In other words, it was to destroy the power of Adam in you, Adam's sin. This is, this is why it's hugely critical that when you hear the gospel call, you respond because what the Lord is wanting to do is break the power of sin cancel Adam's sin in you, 
forgive you for your sins and bring you into this entire new life where you, you, we call it regeneration. It simply means you're brought back to life. We often talk about being born again, but the actual Bible phrase is born from above or born of the Spirit. And uh, so this, this is a, a huge privilege. Now remember that song we listened to last week, sung by the Irish fellow, with all that humor in it? I mean, it was just the greatest song. But you notice the chorus over and over he's saying, He gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he called. Now that's, that's, that's the heart truth for us. In fact, it was Solomon. It was King Solomon who said, He gave us eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, this is not just talking about the eyes and ears that, that are physical, because that, that wouldn't really be a proverb. That'd be a dumb statement to make, you know? If you, if, if, no, he's talking about something else. He, he gives you. In fact, Paul talks about the eyes of the heart. It's from the heart that you're meant to see, but it takes the power of God, the wisdom of Christ. It takes, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit in you to open the eyes of the heart so that from your heart, oh, you recognize, you understand, the, the light dawns on you. Oh, I see. You've, you've heard that expression, have you? Oh, I see. It means the dawning of understanding into the heart. So he gave us eyes to see. We're talking eyes of the heart. Ears, the heart, you're, you're in a, it's your inner person. that you, you hear the inaudible, you see the invisible, and it's the Spirit of Christ that does this for you. And this is what that fellow in the song was talking about. He gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he's called. So that call is inaudible. You don't sit here and wait for some voice. It's on the inside. Oh, you hear the call. You yield the heart. You respond to Christ. Well, we praise God. One last scripture I show you. Paul said to Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So every believer, every one of you, keep a close watch on yourself means you've got to guard your heart because the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. You can deceive yourself. Your heart can wander off. You can pursue false loves. You can, you can become dry spiritually and you will become dry spiritually if you don't keep a heart that prays and seeks the Lord, takes in Holy Scripture. You don't want to dry out and then you have to go through the pain of finding again a hunger for God and, and, and a real knowledge that you're in the will of God. No, you want to keep in the will of God. So you guard your heart so that you don't, you don't go astray. So he says, not only that, watch on your, over yourself, but also watch the teaching. In other words, what you believe. The things, the things we believe from Scripture. And therefore it is very, very important you sit under the teaching of the Word of God. very important you read the Word of God. It's very important that you are formed, heart and mind, with a very, very clear sense of what is true, what is righteous, what, is, what are the truths of Christ. Another translation would call this the doctrine, the doctrine of Christ. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching... Now look at this last sentence. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We all have hearers. Now a preacher, of course, has perhaps many hearers, and, and he's speaking here to a public preacher who's meant to proclaim the word of God. He's saying to Timothy, if you watch over your doctrine, it'll save you. 
but watching over your doctrine as you proclaim it, it will save others. But this truth is actually universal because every one of us here has an audience. And if you'll guard your heart and what you believe, you'll not only save yourself through the course of life, other people around you will also be saved. The souls of others will be saved if you will watch over your heart and the teaching. Take the teaching to your heart. What you believe is critically important and the following through on what you believe. So persist, it says. Persevere. Don't quit. Keep yourself hungry for God and, uh, and walk in the fellowship of the saints. Final truth is this. When you get saved, when you've been born again to a living hope and brought into Christ, it's not just you alone living a life for the rest of your days following Christ. Here's the great truth. You are brought into a body. You are actually joined with other believers so that together we are in Christ. And without that extra piece of information being real for you, the, the reality of being in love with brothers and sisters, in love with the body. This is why we worship on Sundays, by the way. I was, I was listening to a few young pastors recently uh, who obviously hadn't quite learned enough yet, but... They were saying, oh, you know, isn't the church funny? You know how we, we meet together and sing? And, oh, no, I think it's not funny at all. This is critical. Listen, the, the Rotary Club does a whole lot of good in this world, and so that they can do a whole lot of good in this world, guess what they do? They meet every week. They have dinner together. They've got a common program. They even have got a grace. You know, may, may Rotary friends and Rotary ways help us to serve you all our days is the Rotary Grace. How do I know this? Well, I was in Rotary years ago, see? So every, every meeting, every week, say the Rotary Grace, get the big dinner. <laughs> and however, they've got a program. Oh, no, we're going to send a team to Papua New Guinea, build this hospital, you know, whatever. Look, Rotary does a lot of good in this world, but it would do nothing if it didn't meet every week. They belong, they belong to each other, they've got a common program. How much more the church? Apex Club, Lions Club. Look, what about every business in town with staff and management leaders? They meet all the time. Management meets all the time, discuss. They have plans, they have strategy. They've got goals. Unless they meet and agree, they're nothing. No business is built. So don't get this stupid idea in your head that, 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 that what we do is strange. What we do is rich. This is why the Bible says to the church, do not, um, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The reason we meet, Sunday morning is the single most important meeting of the whole church. It's the Lord's Day, you know, from, from the earliest days of the church in Judea, because originally there were only churches in Judea. Guess what? They met on the Lord's Day. But the Lord's Day for them, this was the day the Lord rose from the dead, the Lord's Day from them was the first day of the working week. It's like, it's like Monday morning for us. And a lot of them were slaves. So they had to meet at 4 a.m. so they could have a meeting on the Lord's Day before they had to be on duty at 6 a.m. You know, making breakfast for the master or whatever they had to do. This was how the church got started. The church met on the Lord's Day. And it was so critical. All through the Roman Empire, guess what? Slaves especially and women especially flooded into the church. Why? Because they were loved, they were respected, they belonged they, they, the salvation was a tremendous thing. They find such liberty in Christ Jesus. It was astounding. And it's, it's when we meet together, we discover the power of Jesus. Do you know, 
do you know that when Christians live individual lives, careless with the sense of belonging to the body, do you know that 90% of the blessing that is meant to flow to sons and daughters of the living God doesn't flow? Why doesn't it flow? Because they're not connected. You might, you might have the world's most expensive hose. You can go to Bunnings and buy very expensive hose. You can, you can buy um, you know, a 20 or 30 metre length of hose and pay $180 for it if you get the real good quality one. And you might think your life is good quality. But you go buy that good quality hose, unless you connect it to the tap, there's no water going down the hose. The, 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 the hose doesn't give you the water. And then if that tap, tap is not connected to some other pipe that's got water in it, there's no water coming out that tap. And our lives are like this, unless they're all joined together. By the way, the water that flows, see, I know in my house, I go to that tap and turn it on, water comes out, but it's only because that tap is connected to a pipe, and that one's connected to another one, that's connected to another one, and out to another, and unless they're all connected, that water isn't coming through. And this is what happens with your life and mine, unless your life is properly connected to the body, there's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't come down the pipeline, but the stuff that does come down the pipeline is, is Christ. This is the water of life. And so if, if you want all that Christ has for you to flow to you, you must be joined to the body. And so the thing I didn't mention before was with respect to baptism. The symbol of baptism is that you're not only baptized into Christ, you are baptized into the body of Christ. You are immediately made member of a body. That's all part of what it means and it, what it signifies. So persist, it says. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist and you'll save yourself and you'll save your hearers.